Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh, host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. This week, I interview Melanie, the host of the Christchurch Death Cafe and convener of Death Matters Conference about how she came to accept death. Hello, Melanie. Hi there. Welcome. Now, Melanie... It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So lovely to have you. Tell tell us what sparked your interest in death. Well, it goes back to 2007. I'd been travelling overseas and I'd returned back to New Zealand with a large collection of photographs and I separated them into albums by colour and I was surprised because I loved the vibrancy of the different colours, different countries I've been to, that I, I, was, I was completely drawn to the white album. And these photographs gave me a sense of peace and serenity. And I keep coming back to them and I thought, if they made me feel peaceful and serene, maybe there's an opportunity to offer them to other people. And they might be able to help, help other people find some solace. And that's when I came up with the idea of creating a book to support people through grief. And at the time, the only books on the market in this area were quite hmm, old-fashioned. They were they had lots of biblical quotes and things in them, and they weren't. They didn't have a very contemporary feel. And so I felt there was definitely a gap in the market to create something a bit more modern and fresh. So that was the idea, and off I went with my compiling photographs and and collecting beautiful quotes and song lyrics and matching them up with the images. And I felt, um, as I worked on it, I thought, this is going to be, this could really help people. And then about a year later, my whole life blew apart. My marriage ended, and my whole life was in complete shambles. (laughs) And it was amazing because the book ended, ended up supporting me through my own process of grief and loss. And it really was, it was amazing um, immersing myself in these beautiful words and, and the images while, while grieving my, the end of my marriage. You know, the book, mm-hmm. the book eventually came out in 2011. And I, I mean, I was quite excited when you've got a book baby, it's like, oh, here comes the book. And as the book went out, uh, people began sharing their sad stories with me of, how the book had touched them and um, I was there was a I suddenly realised I thought oh no I haven't actually solved anything I've actually made I've actually created a worse problem and I don't know what to say to these people and I think like many of us in this situation where we sort of feel we don't have the language to support each other in times of loss and so I sat there feeling oh awkward and 
I didn't I didn't feel qualified. I didn't know what to say. And and so that led me to start questioning. Well, why don't I know what to say? Why don't I speak the language of loss? Maybe it's it just belongs to professionals and grief therapists. And then I thought, well, loss is part of the human condition. We're all going to experience it. And so it, it sort of kept me off in a different direction of um, getting doing a grief certificate, a grief support certificate with Lois Tonkin. And that gave me the basics in, in the language of loss. For instance, and I can share with you a couple of things mm-hmm. I learned. So one of one of the things was that we can grieve over any loss, not just death, but we can grieve over losing a job, losing our health, a relationship, a pet, even our hopes and dreams, or basically anything that's important to us. And I also learned that everyone grieves differently, and that we may grieve in ways that people don't expect. And some people may look like they're not even grieving at all. And so learning these, just these few basic things gave me a huge sense of, ah, relief. And I, oh, okay. So, uh, and I, again, I felt frustrated that I didn't, I, I was a grown-up, but I, I didn't know these things. And um, it, just, it just helped make it easier when listening to other people's stories. I was able to be a better listener. So, we, we, have you been able to help people with their loss? Well, I, yes and no. I'd have to go back to before I did, was involved in the death cafe. So, there was, and I can, I can give two examples. I can share one of very close friends. Their, their daughter was tragically killed. And this was going back about 25 years ago. And I was, um, we received the news and it was so shocking it was so awful and um, I remember feeling completely numb and not knowing what to do and um, I guess I don't want to keep saying like most people because I don't know I don't really know what most people would do in that situation it, it, when I, and I was probably in my mid-twenties at the time and it took it took me four days before I went over to their home, and you know I feel really bad about that now. But it was at the time I really didn't know what was appropriate, and I didn't want to go rushing over there without knowing. I felt I didn't know the protocols or what to do or what to say or how to help. I just felt completely out of my depth, so I stayed away. And since being involved in the death cafe and becoming more familiar with death and talking about it and learning, just just talking to people from different walks of life, different experiences, different cultures, and becoming more familiar. I've um, I've just become, I've just eased up on it, I think. And a year ago, I had another experience of friends losing a child. And this time, I didn't hesitate. I literally dropped everything and went straight to their home. And nothing, I mean, I didn't go taking with a list of things to do or um, understanding any particular protocols. I just went. And the difference was I went open-heartedly and full of sadness and at, at the 
at the tragedy and how awful it was, but I didn't go worrying about how I might fix things or make things better because I knew nothing would make it better. Nothing could fix what had happened. I just went to be there, to be supportive. I went willing to do the dishes or make cups of tea or do anything, but just really be present. And I think that's different. I mean, for me, that really illustrates the difference. From earlier, uh, I just put it off as long as I could going over and just felt completely out of my depth the whole time. Whereas the second time, I went straight over, and yes, it was it was still awful, but I felt completely immersed in the process and um, probably more helpful, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> Now you described the difference from the first loss and the second mm. loss you, as you have become death accepting. Mm. What does that mean? Well, I think it doesn't. Well, it doesn't mean that it's that death is okay. It just means that you you accept that it happened. You, you acknowledge that it's awful and that it's painful and you're there to give support and offer comfort. Um, you accept that you can't make it better, but you're there anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think when we're death accepting, we are better members of our families and of our community because we can... We can lean into these experiences rather than try and avoid them, rather than cross the street to avoid someone we know who's gone through a loss. We can, because I know that this has happened to other people. They, they've said to me that when they were bereaved, they've seen friends approaching them down the footpath, and when they notice them, they cross the street to avoid talking to them. And I think that's really sad. Yeah. I mean, to me, that that's that example of a death-phobic society. Now, you attributed some of the change in you to your involvement in the Death Cafe. Can you explain what the Death Cafe is and tell us a bit about the one you host in Christchurch? Sure. So I started the Christchurch Death Cafe four years ago, and I started it for several reasons. One was to face my own fears about death and dying, because I, I, I have a quote that I love, and it goes, it's by Marcel France, and it goes, when you hear the sound of cannons, walk towards them. And that really means identify your fears and and confront them. Don't run away from them, because they're still, you know, they're still there scaring you. So starting the death cafe for me was one way of confronting my fear about death and all the things I didn't know about it. And it was also a way for me to give something back into the community to help our community to become more death-accepting and less death-phobic. And so what happens, it's, a lot of people think it's an actual cafe, but it's but this cafe is a social movement. We, we do meet at a cafe, and we, it's usually a group of 10 to 20 strangers eating cake and drinking coffee and talking about anything and everything to do with death and dying. Um, the other thing to know is that there's no set agenda. So I don't arrive with a set of topics that we're going to talk about. Um, it's a group-led conversation, and it's whatever everyone in the group wants to talk about. 
and the conversation, the, the topics uh, are so varied and they shift and change and, and um, depending on what's happening in the news, what experiences people have had, um, what books they might have read and what else can I tell you about it. There's no advice, we don't give advice and it's no, there's no therapy, although people often report that they find coming along to be very therapeutic. Um, it's it's just, and every single time we meet is completely different. Like we, I never know what we're going to talk about. And, yeah, it's, I, mean, I encourage everyone to come along at least once to a death cafe and experience it. Um, a lot of people report that it's a lot lighter than they expected. I don't, I don't know what they're expecting. Maybe they're thinking it might be quite morbid and dark and a bit kind of depressing. But most people come away saying, oh, gosh, I really enjoyed that. Oh, I can't believe the range of things we talked about. Um, so, yeah, come along. So how would somebody find out where you're hosting your, de- your next death cafe and to come along? <laughs> They, my ones are all posted on the Meetup site. So there's a meetup.com is a scheduling, a global scheduling website. So you can just hop on Meetup and have a look for these cafes in your area. Um, recently, uh, during the COVID lockdown, I've been hosting virtual death cafes. So we've been meeting out every couple of weeks by using Zoom and that's been, <laughs> been amazing because we've had people joining in from different parts of New Zealand and different parts of the world and that's been that's offered all sorts of new opportunities for people that might not normally have been able to come along to have a chance to join in the conversation. Now in addition to hosting a death cafe you also organise a conference called Death Matters Tell us about that. Yes. yes, so because the Death Cafe format is quite strict, because as I said, we don't have we don't have an agenda, we don't bring in guest speakers, and it is group led the conversation. It means after four years, I felt I've met some really interesting people through the Death Cafe, including all sorts of. Um, professionals, doctors and nurses and funeral directors and um, people in the death industry as well as all sorts of curious members of the public and I felt it was time to take the conversation to another level and that's why uh, I still run the death cafes but I also set up a conference called Death Matters and that was a one day event bringing in eight speakers and various workshops and demonstrations uh, all under one roof for the day and we had it at Tūranga and the Public Library here in Cathedral Square and it was amazing. I mean, we had speakers talking about suicide awareness, cultural perspectives on death, um, near-death experiences, um, compassionate communities, um, how to build resilience post post-disaster. It was amazing. One, I, shall I share with you one of the things I learned? Yes, please do. Well, um, one of the, so this was from Michael Hempsey. He is our speaker on suicide awareness. And 
So this is something I learned from this particular talk. He said he shared with us three of the leading contributing causes for suicide. <clears throat> they are poor quality sleep. So that's, I found that really surprising that interrupted sleep or um, not enough sleep or um, and that could lead into a heightened risk for suicide. And he said that's because poor sleep leads into increases mental health or mental health problems suffer with less, less sleep or poor sleep and that suicide is a well, I'm not explaining this very well, but suicide is also impacted by, suicidal thoughts are also impacted by poor quality sleep. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing he said was that unresolved childhood trauma is also a factor. And the third thing was a culture that is completely intolerant of failure. So I found that really interesting. So he, I mean, he was the expert on that, not me, but I'm just saying, I found it amazing that um, it gave everyone a sense of, oh, that's interesting. And it was very empowering to think that that's something that we can all pay more, or those conditions are something we can all pay more attention to ourselves. Right. So the topics that you mentioned, were those topics that were discussed at the conference that you ran last year, or are those topics that are going to be discussed at a conference that you're going to run this year? So those were topics from last year. Mm -hmm. This year, there's a slightly different flavour. The keynote speaker is Dr. Lucy Valentine, and she is um, she's a Swiss, Swedish American doctor, and she's written a book called Med School After Menopause, and she has had, she, she has the keynote speaker and she really balances spirituality and science in, in the death conversation. She's somebody who has, who's very scientific in her approach but has had several near-death experiences and can speak about them from a very scientific perspective. So she is opening the conference and we have people, again we have another talk on suicide awareness um, we have someone talking about grief um, advanced care planning euthanasia and we're finishing with Professor Amy Fletcher who's talking about immortality and the future of death and technology so it's going to be very provocative and interesting I don't, want to, I don't want to give you too many... I don't want to spoil the surprise, but it's going to be amazing. Okay. I don't want to tell you too much about it. So, so when, if people are interested in coming along, how would they find out where it's being held and how to register? Well, I'm not... It, it's not happening until November. So November 20, 2020 is the date. It, I won't be making it available until closer to the time, until we have a bit more certainty around... Um, crowds and gatherings and things but there will be a, a website so people will just will be able to search Death Matters that, that's the name of the website Death Matters dot nz and that will take them to it Now other things you mentioned you said that on your journey you undertook grief support training and also you mentioned to me in an earlier conversation Death Walker training 
What is death yes. walker training, and how would somebody get to do death walker training? Ah, yes, yeah. so it does sound it does sound extreme. Death walker training. It, the first image it conjures up to me is something like fire walker training. <laughs> it sounds yes. like something painful and scary, but it wasn't. It wasn't either of those things. It was completely um, amazing and expensive. Um, it's run by Jennifer Rago, who started the Australian Natural Death Care Centre, and she has been over to New Zealand a few times running this training program. Basically, a death walker is somebody who can accompany the dying person and the bereaved through the journey. And it also, so that's in a nutshell what it is. I would also say that. Being now being a death walker myself, a lot of people assume that means that you're a death doula, someone who who focuses on being with the dying and accompanying them. That's, but it's it's more than that. So a death walker work can take can take many forms, such as being an educator, which is more where I sit, an advocate um, to through the doula work to celebrancy and into grief support. So it's all those things. And I think the best thing about the training, because it's so comprehensive and it looks at all these different aspects of death work, it helps you identify which aspect you're drawn to. Mm-hmm. And now having done all this training and your experiences through the Death Cafe and of course through the conference, how do you feel now about your own mortality and your ability to face oh. that? Oh, <laughs> Well, um, is it less scary? Yeah, is it less scary? Yes, it probably is less scary. I think what it's given me, it's it's remind the death awareness reminds me constantly that I'm not in control, and and it also reminds me to never take anything for granted. And another, so it brings many things. And Frank Ostasewski, who wrote this wonderful book, The Five Initiations, he refers to death as the silent teacher hiding in plain sight. And he talks about how death helps us prioritise what is most important to each of us. And then it gives us some urgency to get on with, with that. And I think that's, that's one of the great gifts of death. It helps us identify what's most important and then it urges us to, to get on with it. Because if we didn't have death, um, there wouldn't be any great urgency to do anything. We'd have endless time, we'd, you know, we'd put things off, we'd cruise along. Because we know that time is, that we're here for a finite amount of time, that gives us a sense of, right, what's most important in our lives? And, okay, let's get on with it. So that has been something that I've gained. I've become more excited, more focused, more more celebrating the juiciness and the creativity of every day. Even in tough times, like... The lockdown, it was not a matter of just waiting for that time to pass. It was really getting into celebrating what was here. What can I do today? What am I grateful for? And it, the death piece is really accentuated for me, the gratitude piece. 
Well, Melanie, I, all I can say is that you've been a huge inspiration to me personally. Oh. And you're a, you're a major <laughs> initiator and contributor to the conversation of death in New Zealand, and I'm deeply grateful to you. And through oh, this conversation, you. you've, talk, you've given us ideas of how we can all be better friends and members of our community by being there for people in their grief rather than walking away. So thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, thanks. You've been listening to The Final Curtain, ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. Podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app. At Death Café Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death and, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Café Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.